You are about to listen to Defending Black Girlhood Podcast, and I'm your host, Lalita G. I'm a black mother. Look, I don't care what Mookie Mae Mae and Lakeisha oh, Mama does. I'm not Mookie Mae Mae and Lakeisha's uh, Mama. Tripping. A preacher. Give me the key of D. And Mary had a little baby, and his name was Jesus. A life coach. Look, girl, if Chump don't want no help, Chump don't get no help. Oh, and a singer. And I, and I, and I, no, I ain't a singer. Most of all, I'm an advocate for black girls everywhere they are. And I'm telling you right now, I am unapologetic as hell about my fierce advocacy for black girls to be safe in their homes, schools, and communities. Join us for courageous conversations about topics that most impact our girls and be inspired to do your part in defending black girls in your part of the world. Any scene depicted in this episode is a fictionalized dramatization based on true accounts and public records. We aim to give voice to the story and tragedy of Erica Hill's life. Some information may contain graphic, violent, or explicit language. Listener's discretion is advised. Hey now. Good morning, Miss Hill. Good morning. Hey, girls. Hey. Happy Monday, Miss Hill. You too. Such a blessed morning. Hurry the hell up. Y'all fought y'all late any damn way. Got me up here at the school looking bad. Y'all gonna be sorry when we get home. Get to class. Y'all bet not say a damn word about this morning. Especially you, Erica. Good morning, Miss Hill. How are those sweet girls of yours? Good morning, Miss Beth. They're good. Just the best kids. Fuck them damn kids. No one ever caring about me. That's so wonderful. You're doing such a wonderful job raising them. Thank you. You're just the best school secretary ever. Nosiest secretary ever. That's why I'm going to come back up here. Make sure those kids ain't running their damn mouths. Good afternoon, Miss Hill. Are you picking up the girls early? I may have missed their early release excuse. Oh, no, ma'am. Just stopping by. Shit, if I tell y'all I'm coming, I won't see what y'all really up to at this school. Oh, okay. You know, while you're here, I had a question about Eric. Uh, Miss Hill, is there something I can help you find back here? Oh, no, ma'am. I'm fine. Did I say I needed help finding something? Damn. Okay, um, are you sure? It seems like you're looking for something over here. Most of our parents stay on that side of the counter. Oh, no, ma'am. Yep, I'm trying to see if y'all got any reports on me. I'm sorry, Ms. Hill. We normally don't let parents look through those files or be back behind the desks here. Are you sure there's nothing I can help you with? Oh, sorry. Let me come back tomorrow. She asking too many questions. Wait, did she mention Erica? If that girl said anything, wait till I get her ass home tonight. Was there something about Erica? Oh, oh no, that's okay. You know, you've been at the school so much, you probably know your way around better than me.
I have the pleasure today to speak to two individuals that I've worked with over many, many years who I deeply respect for their work in the educational community of Madison, Wisconsin here. First, I'm joined by Ms. Nancy Evans, who was the former principal of Wright Middle School, and Dr. Ed Holmes, who was the principal of Wright, preceding Ms. Evans and the principal at West High School. Thank you both for joining me today. Well, thank you for inviting us, yes. It's really great to have you in, and both of you at some point had interaction with Erica Hill at your school. Dr. Holmes, I know she started in sixth and I think seventh grade when you were the principal at Wright. Now, that's been some years ago. That was back in like 2002, 2003. What do you, if anything, remember specifically about Erica? Well, specifically about Erica, not a lot. I would say that she was probably um, a pretty quiet uh, young lady and, um, you know, just went about her business kind of flying under the radar in terms of how active middle school students are. So mm-hmm. nothing, you know, behavioral referrals, nothing that I would say would, would stand out as something that would um, bring my attention to her mm-hmm. as someone who was, uh, I would say, in trouble or someone who was um, any different than any of the other uh, middle school students at right at the time. Okay. So if you had to describe her with one word, what word would come to mind? I would say quiet. I would say kind of to herself. Okay. And... Um, I would also say she was pleasant. You know, I would say she was a pleasant young lady. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Thank you. Ms. Evans, you had a shorter period of time with her because you started the year after Dr. Holmes left. So in that short amount of time, what do you remember about Erica? I remember, just as Dr. Holmes has said, that she was very quiet. But I also have this picture of her, and I think it must have been as a sixth grader of just kind of joyful just bubbly. Mm-hmm. But in later years, in her seventh grade, and um, she seemed to get quieter and more inward. But she was pleasant. I don't recall her ever having any behavioral challenges or anything, just getting along. But I agree, the word would be quiet. She was okay. very quiet. And just so for the record, you know, I just wanted to say that Miss Evans was there with me. And mm-hmm. so she had a much longer period of time with Erica than I did. So Miss Evans kind of came in and, and sat in the principal seat after I left. But she was there. Right. That's right. You exactly. know, for that for yeah. that entire time. So she would have been there right. with her for three years. Mm-hmm. That's right. So you had been at Wright Middle School for mm-hmm. a while before you took over as mm-hmm. principal. Wonderful. And so. I'm going to jump around a little bit with this conversation, and I want to start with something I was going to ask later, but because you both have mentioned kind of Erica's personality and characteristics of her behavior, I've been doing a lot of research about this story. And, you know, initially, I didn't know how deeply convoluted this whole issue was and how many cross-sections and various people throughout the community that had contact and things of that nature. And so I've been just driven to do more research, get more information to try to find out more about Erica Hill as a person, because I feel like there's not a lot that is out there about her as a person, which often happens when someone comes to a tragic end. You really hear more about the perpetrator than you do about the victim. And we see that a lot. But one of the things that I was reading through some court papers and it struck me because everyone that I've spoken to so far about Erica really describes it the way you describe her. And just to throw in a little bit of a timeline, I had a chance to speak with 
the former social worker at Wright and Ms. Knutson, who is a current teacher. And the timeline that they give is that last school year that Ms. Knutson actually approached Erica. When I talked with um, Ms. Caldwell, she thought that Erica had reported to her that she was being abused. But actually, Ms. Knutson said she had noticed that, and I get this from many people, that Erica always wore turtlenecks and long sleeves, no matter how hot or cold it was. Every day, long pants, wouldn't change for gym, that type of thing. And that there was some concern amongst the staff that there was something going on. There was something odd, something, you know, in the way she would change when her mother would come around. And timeline being considered, Ms. Knutson asked her, will you show me your neck one day? And she had on this turtleneck. And when she pulled it down, she saw these scratches on her neck. So she did as she should do as a mandated reporter, went to the social worker. Then they did as they should do. And that they called Dane County Human Services and made a report. And that the very next day, Erica was pulled from school. Mm-hmm. And the reports that I read from the social worker says that he went out to investigate, had made a call, hadn't been returned, went out to investigate, and like two days later, the apartment was empty. Mm-hmm. So when I first came into the story, it was my understanding that Erica was just missing from 2007 on to 2015. Right. But she actually technically was missing out of sight from 2004 until 2015 because when she was pulled from school, she was never re-enrolled to school. So one of the things that her mother, Marie Hill, said was that when she came back to Madison two years later and she re-enrolled Sierra, Kiara, and Julius into school, that Erica did not want to go back to school. She refused to go to school and that Erica had a difficult personality. Does any of that ring true with what you all know or had seen of Erica in school? Never. Never. Absolutely not. Never. Absolutely not. Never. And it just just struck me because I'm thinking from other folks that I've talked to, they said Marie had those kids almost like military and that she was, you know, a strict disciplinarian, authority figure type of thing. So it just sounded really odd to me that everybody else would go back to school and Erica would be the only one that said, not me, I don't want to, I don't feel like it, I'm not going. And that Maurice took that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And so, you know, it, the, the hard part, Lelayda, is that unfortunately, you know, with the population that we had at Wright Middle School and populations at West and across the school district, it's not unusual, though. And so it's not something that would be necessarily a red flag for us that a student doesn't come back because of the amount of transiency that we have in the public schools. Sure. And so, you know, when you look at it much more closely, you start to question it. Right. But when you're looking at it in terms of the broader picture, in terms of the transiency, the challenge that a single mother might have with sure. a, with, with a family and trying to raise the kids on her own, looking for support and resources. And you never know what the dynamics are in the family, in right. the extended family, yes. in terms of a kid may want to stay with another family member who lives in another another part of the state or, you know, even across state lines. Mm-hmm. And so that's when, you know, you, you don't necessarily connect all the dots when in real time when it's happening. 
Right, except the fact that, and I agree with that, having worked in, in schools over the past 30 years and, and dealing with a lot of those families that are having difficulties that you spoke of, it's very true. You know, some kids will go to five different schools within the same city. That's right. Absolutely. It's almost in a school year sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But just the timing of it, she reported in the next day she was pulled from school and she was never re-enrolled in school. And for it to be described as she just refused to go back to school saying, let me ask you all who knew her around the school, because this to me, a kid who would refuse to go back to school, seemed like they would show some disciplinary signs. They would have had a lot of referrals to the office, you know, a lot of, um, usually I find kids who are defiant at home are often defiant at school. But sometimes kids who are defiant at school don't play that with mama at home. Exactly. You know, but usually if they're defiant at home, they bring that into school. So I have a question. Where did the mother say she was? Where did Marie say she was? Did she say, I think they had Joliet, Illinois connection? Yes, I think that's where they were from originally. And that's my big question that I'm still trying to find some answers to. From 2004, when she was pulled from right, to 2007, of February of 2007, when she was killed, where was she? Who saw her? Did she go to church? What was going on? And that is a mystery to me because when I first got into this, I thought she was just missing after she was murdered. I didn't realize for those first years. And so when I was talking to Ms. Knudsen, she said that she was aware that Marie had come back to town in 2006. She had seen Kiara working at a store. She had heard that Marie was back in church. She even went as far as to look up to see that the kids were enrolled in school, that all three of the kids were enrolled in school, and that Erica specifically was listed as being homeschooled. And she just kind of left it at that. And so one of the things that has broken me about this case is the near misses of so many different people. And it's hard, like you said, because you don't always know what's going on. But with the county closing the case, with, you know, her being missing. And, and part of my question to Ms. Knudsen was, why didn't you alert the authorities once you knew she was back in town and you knew that the kids were enrolled in school and Erica wasn't? So one of the questions I would ask, what expectations did you all have as principals when a report was made in terms of how far were the school personnel expected to go beyond reporting it? I think it depends on, if you're talking about principals, yes. the social worker would be the one who would start carrying that out and inform us. But what you're describing, after they had left right, right, and after they had left the district and come back years later, would that be right's responsibility? It would have to be outside of what you would be responsible for. Mm -hmm. Now, her looking into it was well beyond her responsibility, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I'm not so certain that she would take it to authorities thinking that it was fine. It's not just you don't know. What Did we suspect anything? Did anyone suspect that there was anything wrong? I think from what, what I heard from the social worker and heard from her, everybody suspected something was wrong when the abuse was reported, and then the next day, all the kids were pulled from school. They were pulled, and then, but then the, there's that lull, mm -hmm. and people did some 
wondering what had happened. Mm -hmm. But when they've been gone for two years, two, mm -hmm. three years, and they come back into the community and they say she's homeschooled, I don't know if I would question that. And that's a, that's a difficult part because mm -hmm. it's not against the law to homeschool exactly. a child. Exactly. And, sure. so, and so if, some, if a parent has the right to, to homeschool, we wouldn't question that. Mm -hmm. And so there's a fine line between getting involved and possibly breaking up a family. And we, mm -hmm. we, while there may have been some, some suspicion, we may have been wrong by mm -hmm. trying to bring the authorities in after the initial report was made. And, you know, Sarah Knutson is an incredible mm -hmm. ad, uh, educator and teacher mm -hmm. who cares about the kids in the community. And so she did go above and beyond what her responsibility would have been in terms of checking on the kids, mm -hmm. you know, even after the report was made. Mm -hmm. And so she's always going to do due diligence. Mm -hmm. I mean, and so you love to have educators like that in the system, you know, who's right. going to do due diligence, follow the protocols about making the report. And so it would have been the county's responsibility then to follow up on the whole abuse and neglect issue, mm -hmm. because that's beyond the capacity of what the school yeah. district has the ability to do, True. you know, given the number of students and the number of, of uh, other challenges that we face in the public schools. Yeah. Right. And, you know, we want to welcome the kids back into the community that have enrolled in the school. You know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. we're trying to find ways to engage the family and engage with the kids who've come back, you know, and that's the hard part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because families do that very often. Yes. They'll leave and mm -hmm. come back and there's nothing, you know, there are no suspicious issues. You right. Know, Just in general. Kind of, they will do that. And mm -hmm. homeschooling, there have been situations where you have a family of maybe two or three and one child, the parent decides will homeschool. Mm -hmm. So that is something that happens also. And, and that's for whatever reason. I mean, for whatever right. reason. For whatever exactly. Reason. Right. And I think from what I've heard, Wisconsin has very liberal laws around homeschooling. So Absolutely. that there's not say so. a lot of poking in oh, and things of that nature. Yeah. There's a lot of it, autonomy. Yeah. Which is concerning in itself. You know, right. But you're talking to two educators who believe in public education. Yeah. Right. I, I Absolutely. Mean, you know, so. Right. And, you know, and like you said, there's families that one child needs one thing, another one needs mm -hmm. something else. Sure. And that is reasonable. So, Miss Evans, when when Erica disappeared back in 2004 and we're thinking it was probably around the fall semester. That's what I'm I'm thinking. Were there any people that you know of? that asked of her, because one of the questions I had was, who was looking for this child? You know, did anyone notice she was missing and who was actively looking for her? And one of the reports that I read said that after Marie and her kids had disposed of Erica's body, Marie says no one ever asked about Erica. Well, that's, who said that? Marie said Marie that. said no one ever asked about Erica. And when I read that, I felt like a sucker punch to my chest because it sounded like no one cared about her. No one even bothered to ask. Would you say that was true? I would say consider the source. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of oh, that I statement. Am. Yeah. <laughs> consider the source. And I don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. I think that there are people who did ask um, if no one else at minimum, I'm guessing the, the county was doing some looking into some of that, I'm thinking. But I don't I don't think they were. Not, but it's like, for how long? How mm -hmm. long after? See, and then when they leave, well, there's the reporting. And so students leave, and then we're waiting to hear from a school. Right. To get records. Right. To ask for our records. And that never came. 
So I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. But it's like it's asking about and wondering about, which I know did happen. Yeah. But then there's investigating further. Which is different. Which know, is very it. different. Because I've talked to folks who knew Erica, um, one person in general who considered herself a good friend of Erica, Geneva Hunt. And she said every time she would see Marie, she would ask about her. And I saw some reports from some other right girls that we all would know who said after the report came out in 2015 that they said, I always ask where Erica was. I always asked the girls about her. I asked Marie about her. And they always told me that she first that she had run away. And then secondly, that she had went to go live with somebody else. And so that's a statement I really want to work to refute because I think it's important even just for Erica's memory to know that there were people who knew she was missing and who were concerned about her. You know, I think that's just important to state and bring that up. So now, Dr. Holmes, you kind of come in on two different levels with this family. One, when they came back, they were in high school. Yes. And so were two of the girls, Sierra and Kiara at West? Yes. And then at some later point, um, you had an intersection with Julius, the youngest son, at well, he was at right at some point too. You know, when they I, came I'm back, I'm not so sure that he was. I've tried. I, I knew remember, Julius. I remember Julius okay. in elementary school as okay. a as yes. a young kid, and then they went away, and he came back, and because he was in the same in the same grade level as my son, EJ. Okay. Yeah. And so they were on the track team together. Okay, uh, they were in some classes together at West. At West. Okay. And so that would have been, he would have come, EJ would have come in 2007. Okay. Because he graduated in 2011. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think Jackie Hunt told me that her and his son went together at Wright. And I think Ms. Knudsen said he was at Wright Wright for a moment. So you knew the family after they came back, but you knew them before they left. Yes. So what overall would you say your experience had been with Marie and how would you describe her as a person? Well, you know, I, I would say that everybody, and not just my experience, everybody knew Marie as a, a very vigilant parent who felt like a, a pretty strict disciplinarian, mm-hmm. but always was an advocate for her kids in, in a number of different ways in terms of making sure that they were in class, that they were in school, that they were succeeding academically, that there were resources for them to get whatever they needed, whether it's a a community-based resource or whether it was a um, school-based resource. Mm -hmm. That's what we saw. And it it was not atypical, uh, again, of a single mother who's African-American trying to raise a family of multiple kids. Maybe a little atypical in that she was up at the school a lot. She, She was. And so... That was that's kind of atypical. That was that was, but there mm. were a few parents like that. Okay, and so we knew who they were. Right, and so you know <laughs> right. what I mean. Right, and that so much. we accepted yeah. that. We accepted that as their normal. Sure, it wasn't normal for everybody, exactly. but it was their normal because, in at some level, they were almost overzealous mm-hmm. and over involved mm-hmm. and overly involved. But after a while, I said, 
oh, that's just Miss Hill. Mm-hmm. And when she walked through the door, nobody bothered her. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. we don't want any trouble. Miss Hill, go see what Miss Hill needs. Right. Let's, just, let's just make sure that she's okay. That right. the, let's see if there's a problem with one of the kids. You know what I'm saying? Right. So we'd listen and try to figure out how we could be of support. And that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because my son, I found, was friends with Julius as well yes. at West. Mm-hmm. And he was older than him, but he hung out with them in the, in the weight room. Mm-hmm. And he would say, Miss Hill would always just show up. Yep, she would. She would just show up. Yes. I think he said she had a pit bull in the car. You know, she would just show up yep. at any particular time, do a pop-up with the kids. And so what we're talking about really are puzzle pieces. Mm-hmm. Like no one thing by itself is the full red flag. That's right. And then hindsight. Exactly. It's so right. clear. That was a red flag. Was to that? me, the fact that she was always around. Yes, you have parents who are vigilant, who are there, but she was always. And that, to me, it was a little different. Something was. was a little different I, I, I about agree. that. But the question, got everybody, listen, is a red flag for what? In, yes. in my in, right. And so in my wildest imagination, it right. would not have been what what came to fruition. You know what I mean? I and do. so it was a red flag and it mm-hmm. was it was different and it was odd and it was mm-hmm. even uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know. But In what way was it uncomfortable? Well, like I said, she was and sometimes she was overbearing, Okay, you know, and trying to get her point across. Mm-hmm. And so it made people. Which is not atypical of a black mama. Exactly. Advocating for her child. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, how much is too much? Right. And so who are we to determine or decide how much is too much when you're advocating for your kids? And no one pushed her back. No. Mm -hmm. No. That was not it. But you were aware. Because I can, one of the things I can remember is her just kind of taking liberties to come into the office area and just walk right there where the workroom was. Okay. Now, that was a little interesting. Right. That she would do that. Well, she made copies. No, and she's just, just, just like, I'm just going to walk and just walk in this way a little bit. <laughs> okay. You know, I'm just going to, and I'd be like, okay. You know, but, it's you like, know. That's strange. Right. <laughs> can I help you? Is that right? Right. 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 Well, while you and, back, and I would, like, like you know. While you're back you there, can you fax this for me? Exactly. Exactly. Right. So, but, you know, so that here? was it. But. You're right. And it was sometimes a little uncomfortable because you're wondering, what is this? But you're right. What is the concern? Mm-hmm. What exactly. are we concerned about? Exactly. You know, and of course, now mm-hmm. you're like, wow. Well, did either of you notice when she showed up at the school if the behavior of her children changed? To me, they were always, like you said, military style. They stood up straight and they were quiet. Okay. They were quiet. I think they were all pretty quiet children, mm-hmm. but they seemed to really cower. Wow. Is that the word? Just like mm-hmm. she's here. You know, they got quieter. And so she, there was never any yelling needed. Mm. There, there was not something that was mm-hmm. a part of her interactions with them. In public. No. Well, there, thank you. Mm-hmm. Need to clarify that. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Exactly. So there was a public persona. You see what I mean? Right. And so what what happened behind the scenes, you know, we were not privy to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, again, the outward face then, the kind of public persona was one that was, we had a strict African-American mom that was trying to do the best for her kids. And mm-hmm. it was sometimes a little uh, off-putting, a little uncomfortable. 
but not so extreme that we would really question it. Mm-hmm. But you know, you know what I mean, right? And so you know, and she wouldn't come up there hitting nobody. No, 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 no. Exactly. She Pulling would, down. you know, mm-hmm. she would, right. and sometimes she would come in a little heated, and we said, "Miss, Miss, we need you to calm down." And we, she'd get whatever she needed, and she'd go. Mm-hmm. And so, looking back on it, I think that she wanted to be there and keep control, but not bring any attention to herself. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's hindsight, yeah. but. She wanted to make sure that things were in control, in her control, at least her perception of what control would be. Right. Mm -hmm. And so with both of you as longtime educators, let's throw this out there. You know, I think a lot of times you see the kid that's bouncing off the roof, that's cussing out the teachers, that's having the fights. They get a lot of attention. But we often overlook that quiet child. They're going to class. They're not arguing with the teacher. There's something that's off. You notice something. You feel something. But they're not raising a lot of attention to themselves. And so what is your thought about do those kids sometimes get missed? I would say, you know, for these kids, they were they were kids that were pleasant. Mm-hmm. And so and they were engaged in school and they had friends. And so it was different. They were almost like model citizens to a degree. They went to mm-hmm. class. They weren't in any disciplinary issues. Right. And so we were happy to have those kids there. Right. And so it's different than kids who are on one end of the spectrum that's always causing havoc and right. the, the histrionics in the class and cussing out the teacher or whatever mm-hmm. they do and, and then we, you know, go in and, and handle the behavioral issues. But these kids were kids who came to school on a regular basis. They were involved in in activities and clubs. The girls had jobs in the community. And Mm -hmm. we saw all of that. Mm -hmm. And so part of it was public facing to us as well. Absolutely. And so it seemed like despite the fact that they had a a very vigilant mom, the kids were doing okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. I do. Miss Evans, what do you think about that? And I think you... You have something that those who are doing so much, Mm -hmm. whose attention. But, you know, at the same time, I have always tried to pay attention to those who are quiet, mainly Mm -hmm. because that has been me. Mm-hmm. And I know that students who are quiet, they have things. They they right. have a lot of stuff with them. So I've always encouraged people. And the fact that she was approached by mm-hmm. someone who noticed that she was being quiet mm-hmm. Other people do that, too. Right. But, you know, again, as Dr. Holmes said, they were like model school citizens. They weren't standing in the corner lurking and not doing anything. They right. were engaged in all that the school community had to offer. Now, do you remember if Erica was involved in, like, after-school programs? And well, things? you know, I'm trying to remember about after-school things mm-hmm. because, of course, now in hindsight, uh, mom was watching. Mm-hmm. I think she was watching. And now I think she was watching to make sure nobody said anything out of line. Right. To make sure that they didn't and that nobody was paying too much attention to them and inquiring. Mm-hmm. So I think that may have been it. But I I believe that she was. I can just, again, as a sixth grader in particular, not so much seventh grade, but as a sixth grader, I can see her smiling. Mm. Now, when I looked in the yearbook for seventh grade, it was a little different. Okay. I could see the difference, and I saw the turtleneck. Wow. And I looked at the older girl's picture, and I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. Of course, now I will go back and look again. But mm-hmm. I remember Erica being a little bit vivacious, 
in sixth grade and okay. different from the other girls, okay. the other two. Okay. But I don't know about clubs. I'm thinking she was very, I think she was involved in some things. Okay. But okay. it makes you wonder if maybe they weren't allowed to do that. Right. I think Geneva had recalled that Erica wasn't as much allowed to do anything after school because she said she would do homework with her sometimes and even that would be kind of an issue sometimes for her. At the house? No, at school. At school. Like after school. The homework club. We had homework club, mm-hmm. right? Yes, you did. I remember. We I did. remember, For yes. many years. Yes. yes, right. But what you were saying about you had encouraged people to kind of look at the quiet person because I was that quiet student mm-hmm. too and didn't cause any trouble. I never mouthed off with any teachers. I wasn't a model student because <laughs> I think to be a model student, you quiet and you have good grades. I struggled academically, even though, you know, my teachers always said they knew I had the ability mm-hmm. and I struggled with absenteeism. Mm-hmm. And I was always in the nurse's office with this nonspecific stomach ache. And all of these things together make me wonder why people didn't inquire more into my life and what was going on with me. Ultimately, we we lie the responsibility of abuse at the feet of the abuser. That's ultimately where it, it belongs and where it lies. But sometimes I wonder if someone had pulled me over mm-hmm. at school and had talked to me, you know, and I know I was red flagged because when I was in elementary school, I was in this this one-on-one with this woman, start meeting me one-on-one. And I was at Leopold, and she would meet me one-on-one. So there was something when I was in, like, first, second grade, which is around the time when the abuse started. And years later, for some reason, my brother and I never talked about it. Years later, I found out that he had been pulled out, too, in elementary school, working one-on-one with someone. Even though he didn't know I was being sexually abused, by my stepfather, there was something that was impacting him as well. And I just think, man, if someone had talked to me, one time I went into the nurse's office at West and I had gone to Lincoln Middle School. And I can remember, even as a young student, you know, again, I had the stomach ache. I remember the nurse calling. Hi, Miss G. Yeah, Lalita's in the nurse's office because she was exasperated. And I knew that then... And I remember seeing my report. It was like this thick. As many times I had been to the nurse. And I went back years later to try to see if I could find my my report and they had been destroyed. But yeah, we got to look out for those quiet ones. But I think reporting is different now than it may have been at that time. I mean, I don't know if how long mandatory reporting and people getting together to say, did you notice this, that, or the other? Right if that is something that they were doing at that time and connecting the dots or especially in middle school. Mm -hmm. Now in middle school, there is this thing about your body is changing, right? All the physiological stuff that's happening and males and females end up in the nurse's office a whole lot. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of anxiety in general. Mm -hmm. So all of those things may not have been as much of a concern at that time. Somebody still Right. They noticed something, but they may not have known what to do with that. Right. You know, and with us, things, we notice things, but never in a million years did you think that it would end up like it did. Absolutely. And so, Dr. Holmes, so 
your son was friends with Marie's Ju- son, with, with Julius. Julius, yes. And so were there any things that you noticed that seemed awry, you know, with that interaction? Or No. And, and so that's what makes it even that much more kind of, um, you know, uh, devastating in right. terms of what happened. It, right. You know, um, I would say that Julius was like any other African-American boy. Mm-hmm. Again, we have pictures of him at the birthday parties that we had for the kids with cake in, in the basement, mm-hmm. that type of thing. And he was there. Oh, them good old basement parties. The, ba- the basement party. We always put the kids in the basement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really nice. I mean, you know, but the thing is, even into high school, they were on a track team together. Julius played football, and, and EJ was on the track team, but Julius was on the track team as well. So they, they kind of reconnected when they came back because okay. he remembered him growing up as, you know, probably elementary school. Oh, sure. Early on, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, one question I wanted to ask you both was, in hindsight, is there anything that you wish that your staff would have done differently? I really can't think of anything. Mm-hmm. I think it says a lot, and I'd heard that too, that, Erica was approached. Mm-hmm. Did you? Okay. By by the teacher. Mm-hmm. It doesn't surprise me who the teacher was. Okay. Because that's what she does. But the fact that she noticed and said, we got to do something. Right. Right now. And took her immediately to the social work. Yeah. And so the difficult part for public education is the issue of capacity in terms of the number mm-hmm. of students I know at West, we had, you know, anywhere between 2,100 and 2,300 students, and we had one full-time nurse. And so trying to care for that many students, right. it's a capacity issue. Sure, I'm sure people notice things, and there's mandatory reporting. So there was reporting that went on. But the question is, how much follow-up can someone in the nurse's office or even the school social worker, I mean... With that type of caseload, with those, um, when the need is just yeah, when so the need great. the need is and the need is great for so many students, what's reasonable in terms of the amount of follow up, based on something that's purely speculation? And it's really like I think something is going on here, and this is even after the report is made. I think that the school district feels like I've done my due diligence right. because there's a lot of responsibility that the school staff person takes when they make the report. Yes. Because then a lot of times the parent will come in angry. That's right. Mm-hmm. Will come in and confront the staff member for making the report. How dare you? And so, right. you know, there's also the question of lawsuits and, you know, everybody's threatening to sue somebody for whatever reason, defamation of character or, you know, so, right. so break when it, you break make it. that report, that is no little thing when no. they go and take that step said, you know what, we cannot sit on this. Right. Dr. Holmes is correct. There's a lot of work involved, and they know that from the beginning. But at the same time, if they make the report, they know the child is needs it, and is, it's worth it right. for the child. Because it's no easy thing. It is by it's no not, means. You know, even when you have a substantial amount of evidence before you, it's no easy thing to make that kind of report. That's correct. Because you never know what the next steps are going to be. That's right. You know what I'm saying? But it's necessary to make it, but it's not easy to make. That's right. It's definitely not easy to make. With that thought in mind, what do we need more of? Do we need more nurses, more social workers in the school? Do we need more social workers in the community? Like, what would you all say would be helpful in filling the gap of the issues that we're seeing these days with kids in school? I think you need people who are just 
tuned in to to students, their lives, their families, seeing the changes and noticing that they're having an impact. Mm -hmm. What they're noticing is significant and we need to go right. to the next level. So it's not just about positions, it's about hearts. Yeah. And people who right. feel I feel what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. I can I can pick up that there's something going on with you. Right. Uh, so uh, there's that, yes, you will need more people. You mm -hmm. will need more positions. But more than that, you need people who have really are tuned in to the needs of the students. Mm -hmm. And as I said, just pick up that there's something not working here, not right. going just as it should be right. or as it used to work. It's not working anymore. Why? So one of the areas of focus that I have and the title of this podcast is Defending Black Girlhood and really looking at the ways that I feel, first of all, black women have to stand in the gap for black girls. You know, when we see the issues, I think we are all very tied into the issues that are going on with black boys, the need for fathers, the pull of the world out there, you know, all these things. We're very aware of that. I don't know if we are as tuned in to what's going on with black girls. And as we're seeing, black girls are really going up in statistics around being suspended and expelled from school, violence being shown in school. Ms. Evans, I'll start with you. What are some things, and I know both of you are retired now from the field of education, but I imagine your ears still kind of up in the wind of things that are going on, or even what you saw, you know, when you were in school. What are your thoughts about what black girls need to be not just caught in these very, very extreme cases, but also to be better engaged in school, period? Black girls, girls in general, are living vicariously a lot of experiences that they should not be experiencing. So I mean that by, again, with social media, mm -hmm. with television, with movies. They see a lot of things. A lot of things are available in their lives to view that at one time women never saw. That's children so true. never saw. That's so true. So right away you see these things and our children are having a hard time separating reality in my life and how I could behave with what I see mm -hmm. there. I don't know how we can get around that. You can't. That's the world we live in now. Right. But I think they also need people. It's always best if it's women mm -hmm. who can tell them that is not okay. Just to tell them straight up, that's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And here is why. And talk to them. I always say talk to the children. Right. Ask them what's in your head and what makes you think that this is okay. And this is something that you should be imitating, mm -hmm. emulating. But they don't always have that. So they need some people. They need women. I think there's also a place for young women to have men mm -hmm. who can talk to them. It's not so much telling them how a lady, a woman should behave, but just talking to them and explaining that what happens in life if this goes on with you. Having that fatherly energy. Still. In their exactly. life. Right, which I think that's one way from what I observed. And, you know, while you were principal at Wright in particular, I had more time with you because at the same time I was doing girls groups there. Yeah. Um, I think I did groups over maybe a dozen years. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I noticed with you, Dr. Holmes, was the fact, you know, that you had this fatherly image. Right. And whether or not you were trying to project that onto the kids, I definitely think kids were pulling that from you. 
you know, um, and you've raised a daughter. Absolutely. You know, what are some thoughts, concerns you have about what we see going on with black girls in particular right now? I would say that it's the images that they see. And I would agree wholeheartedly with Miss Evans. It's the images that uh, black girls see that are kind of celebrated and almost even idolized that are negative, I would say negative images and not necessarily reality in terms of what someone's day-to-day life is really like. And so that's a challenge. I think that's a huge challenge to make sure that young black girls and, and young women understand how to separate what's popularized and what's in the media and what's real. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to have close relationships I think that a lot of times there's nobody to go to except a peer or a girlfriend right. when there's an issue. And so I'm sure in a lot of cases that the peer may be going through some of the same things and exactly. they may not know how to address those issues themselves. Well, even if so, if not, they're still going to give you 12-year-old advice. Exactly. There's You're going to get 12-year-old advice as opposed correct. to having someone you can confide in, someone that can offer you some support. If you're confiding something that's serious to them, Mm -hmm. that they feel confident that there's going to be something done to help resolve whatever this issue might be. Right. My girls are always told, you can come to one of us, your mother, your father, but find another adult. Yes. In fact, find a couple of adults Mm -hmm. that you can also go to. You can listen to you, talk to your friends, but understand your friends are going to be telling you. What you're spinning in, they're spinning in the same stew that you're dealing with. So find some other adults, adults that are family members, find somebody at school Mm -hmm. that you really feel confident. I love that, Miss Evans, because I don't think enough parents are telling their kids that. I really don't, because you feel as a parent, you want to feel sufficient for your kids. You know, you want to feel like you're giving them everything that they need. But, you know, honestly, as someone who raised my children as a single parent, even what I've observed from other two-parent households, you still could use two or three more parents That's, to help that, out. There's no question. <laughs> you we know? need to, this whole, you know, we hear it often, but it applies in so many situations that you need a village. You really do. And you really do need a village. And you have to acknowledge that you don't know everything as a parent. Right. Absolutely. That's like in the classroom. You know, I don't know it all. But as a parent, you have to acknowledge I don't have all of the answers. Mm -hmm. We can talk about it, but I may have to send you to somebody else. Right. And that's okay. Right. But come to me still. And then I'm going to say, you know what? I don't know this, Mm -hmm. but let's talk to so-and-so, aunt so-and-so. Right. Grandma, grandpa, talk to some people. Mookie, Nene, That's for all of them. I agree. All of them. Talk. Right. Talk to somebody else. But but young people would say that's the old way of thinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't Mm -hmm. we don't do that anymore. You Mm -hmm. know. And so the reason is, is because, like you said, the parents are not telling their kids to do that. Right. Because there's a lot so much distrust now. Right. There's a lot of distrust out there. And so, you know, how do we change that mentality? How, How do we change this kind of contemporary culture where we don't trust educators? We don't trust the adults that have been given the responsibility to help care for the community mm-hmm. or kind of be caretakers for the community like we used to have. And so I don't right. want to go into the, oh, it used to be like this because I'm the retired guy, right? right. <laughs> but, but I think there is something to that. Some of the old ways still work. Yeah. Right. Because many people use the ways, the strategies or whatever that their parents, their grandparents right. use. They may tweak it a little bit for 21st century, mm-hmm. but they still are using some of those. And it's like, what's wrong with that? 
Absolutely. And I know even in my groups with girls, I still ask, who are three adults that you can talk to? And I'm always still amazed that many of them, outside of their parents, can't name anyone. And I will often ask, because I think it is important to have that person in the school. I think every student should have a person in the school that they've developed a relationship with that they can talk to if need be about issues. And quite frankly, what I'm finding is I think there is a connection between the lack of seeing black and brown faces in the schools and the disconnect that black and brown kids are having. I really feel like in many ways there are less black and brown teachers now really than when I was in school. When I was at Lincoln in the 70s, I think I went to Lincoln from 76 to 79. I actually had had two black principals. Like I had Miss Seymour, Miss Sims, Mr. Moore. So there was a lot of black teachers. Mr. Jerry, the art teacher, and Mr. Butler. Mm -hmm. And in my kids growing up in the city, they did not have that. And in my work still in school districts, they don't have that. And even if there is someone that is black or brown in the school, is usually an aide who has no power in schools, it's hard to lead from the bottom. So what do you all think the impact of not having as much diversity, both in the classroom, but also at the leadership in schools? How do you think that's impacting? I think it does have a tremendous impact. Not seeing yourself, yes. as we often say. There you go. You know, especially when, again, out in the world, again, on television, in the media, you see a lot of yourself. Now, those right. images are not always the best, right. I will say Which that. Which is intentional. There's that. There is an intentionality. Let me just throw this There's out here that. with my conspiracy <laughs> theories. The white folks can control the airway. They control the music. They control all of these things that are pumping out these negative images for our kids to see. And that is what causes some of the issues. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to also say this. We can't wait until we have that critical mass of teachers who look like the children. So the folks who are there, they need to step up. Yeah, they do. They need to step up. And many of them, many of them have and do and have a history of stepping up. But we need to have more people in there who look like the children. Right. It's getting better, but you're right. The majority of the people who look like the children are not in the positions of power and authority. Right. But when you're getting those power in that position, make sure you care for the children and you take care of the children. Right. It's not enough to just be black or brown. No, it is not. You know, because some of my black teachers was the meanest ones I had at Lincoln, but there was something to having even being mean. It was something to have in teachers that look like me, you know, because I clearly remember the first time I had a black teacher was Mrs. Bernard at Leopold. And she was one of the first black teachers in the district, the first black woman teacher in the school district. And I can remember walking into her classroom and exhaling. I felt tension go out of my shoulders when I saw her. She reminded me of my grandmother. And that's what white kids get every day, all day. They get teachers and administrators that look like their mother, like their father, like their uncle, like their grandfather. And they get to go into that setting, having this level of comfort that we don't get. And I like that you said we have to challenge those who are already there. 
you know, and I've done a lot of training with educators about having some crossover, a better cultural understanding, you know, Mm -hmm. and I've been very disappointed. I want to say this. I I think that there's an urgency. Yes. That there needs to be some type of cultural competence, training and understanding for the people who've been given the charge of educating the kids that we have. We don't get to pick and choose in public education who comes through the door. Right. You know, I understand now for the mm-hmm. first time, the Madison Public Schools are 55% students of color. Wow. And so when I was there, we were projecting and the school district was projecting that in the next few years that the demographic would be predominantly students of color. Mm-hmm. But we, the district never really prepared for that. Wow. And I think that that's one of the reasons that you're seeing as many challenges as you're seeing now with, right. the, with the public schools. And I definitely want to be on the record for saying that. Thank you for that. <laughs> I thank you for that. Because, you know, I was talking to a group of educators one time and I happened to say, I was like, yeah, because when I was growing up, we didn't have the type of discipline issues that I'm seeing now with black kids in school. And they look shocked. Like this is all we can present is trouble and issues and fighting. Plus, plus, I feel like back in the day when kids fought Police were never called. There was an expectation that kids would fight. Nobody wants your kids fighting, but your kids' kids are going to fight. And I feel like there is an over-response to black kids and brown kids, which ups the ante for, you know, I could think about some bad behind kids who, if they had been responded to back then, the way black kids are responded to now, Mm We wouldn't have somebody like David Smith, right? who is a community leader, a pastor, who's doing wonderful things in the community. You know, David, you know you was bad. <laughs> he was just behaviorally challenged. He was behaviorally. He was not bad. There's no such thing as a bad okay, child. Okay, David, you were behaviorally challenged. <laughs> You know what? That's why. That's why I'm so glad Miss Evans followed me as the principal at Wright Middle School. We have a, a philosophical difference. <laughs> the badass kids. There are some badass kids out there now. Because you know why? Because and this is what something else I think that happened. People mark children K through eight. If they are, as the words you use, are they bad? Are bad they mm, they just <laughs> they just stamp them like that's going to be their life yes. for the rest of their lives. Yes. I'm like, don't do that. Yes, don't do that. One, what you bring a, a staff to their knees when you ask them, what were you like in middle school? I used right. I used to say, and you see them like melt. Ooh, boy, I, ooh, right. Because you're supposed to change, and right. students who were really bad. And challenges, yeah, they make it through because those years are hard years, and students need people who will walk that with them. Yes, not just beat them up emotionally, absolutely, and, just, and, and snatch their their promise. Yes, you know, and that happens very often. But I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna say this about fighting. You're right. Fight used to be in the back of the school. Mm-hmm. You know, I had one with my friend Gail in fifth grade. We fought. Like, what are you going to be? Yeah, we're going to be out there. We fought in the car. Meet me after school. Home. Right. Then right. you go home. Right. But and it's fighting dark. takes a whole different, looks different now. That is and that's true. One thing Sometimes you, we it have does. To, it, yeah. Too often it does. Yeah. There are, it's not just your hands. And it's also not just you. Right. Your crew jumps in sometimes. Right. That takes a different... You have weapons. So, you're right. So, I'm not talking about that kind of fighting. Right. But, I'm just talking fist fighting. But there's... And there's just hard... There's a lot of times it's not just that. 
Sometimes that's true. And so, but you're right. Just to automatically call the police, it was rare. There were a few situations where we needed somebody else. Right. It was rare, rare, rare if that was necessary. Yeah, because it's just scary to me that at this point, People are starting to call the they police call on elementary the school yeah, kids, that, kindergartners. Yeah. That's, 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 that's scary. Like what, now, what, I don't need to call the police on you if you need to call the police on an elementary school student. Exactly. So let me say this. I think that part of the issue is the teachers that we currently have in the public schools, understanding that giving students and young people whatever it is they want is not what is needed. Right. Mm. Right. Because I think that young people want to be held to high expectations. Right. They want to be successful. They want to be supported. They want to be nurtured. But it starts with being held to high expectations. Absolutely. And I think that the teachers that we have don't understand that. They don't often believe in the students and they don't have a high expectation right. for them. And at this point, we know there's been too many studies that shows us that if you do not have a high expectation for students, that's what they're going to meet. Wherever you kind of thinking about. Right. Let me move the conversation back to Erica. So in 2015, Kiara Hill starts to search the Internet to see if there was any mention of a Jane Doe being found. She discovers that there was a Jane Doe that was found in Gary, Indiana, where she knows that they dumped the body. And she calls them. And eventually the news makes it back to Fitchburg that the young lady who was dubbed as Lake County Jane Doe 2007, which they erroneously thought she was older. They thought she could maybe be a woman, was actually Erica Hill, who was only 15 years old. And what do you all remember thinking, feeling when you heard the news that Erica had been found dead? You talk about that punch in the gut. Mm. You know... Like so many situations where people say, not here, not in my life, not in my world. It was very hard to believe. Yeah. And I just didn't even know where to go with that. I mean, then everybody started texting and the conversation started and calls. It was devastating to hear that. And so you think back on the children, think back on Marie Think back on many of the things that we've talked about, you know, right. but still it was such a shock. So how did you process that? Like, where did you go with the feelings you were having about it? It was almost like, where do you go with this? You know, I'm like, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. And to know that the children had been involved in this. Right. As an educator, I always go to people never know what children go through. Absolutely. And how children are traumatized and the ways they're traumatized. Right. And the things that the authority that a parent can have over a child to make them do this. Right. I just had to sit. I couldn't even cry. I was just in shock to think about it. And I still do. When I hear it, it just kind of pings me. And uh, when you just said the body was found, the first time you said it, it just sent something through me to think about it like that. That someone I knew that I can pull up a picture of this person, this child, this child in my head 
it's like um, something I've not experienced. I would just echo those same sentiments that Ms. Evans has just said, but I was even to the point of being kind of that uneasy, kind of nauseous feeling. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was that the kind of deep-seated, I would say almost disbelief that uh, something like this could happen. And the unfortunate reality is you see more and more of this oh. uh, in the news because it really is unfortunate. But here, in my mind, and I read, the, I read some of the newspaper articles mm -hmm. you know, at the time, I felt like this was really a heinous crime. Right. No it felt like it was a real heinous crime. Yes. And that the perpetrator engaged other family members. So there was such, children. you know, children. children, right, right. Children that was, that, that were forced to take part in this heinous crime that was committed against a, a sibling. Right. And so that elevated the whole crime that took place. Absolutely. And so, I mean, it was such a graphic details that were outlined about what took place. That's what made me feel so uneasy and gave me that kind of queasy feeling inside to imagine that someone that was in our community, in our midst, could commit such a crime, but also... In your home at one point, I would in imagine. My, in my yeah, home. Yeah, Miss, yeah, yeah. Right. No, exactly. no doubt. No doubt. She would come in and drop the kids off or mm -hmm. pick the kids up uh, from activities we were doing in my home. And someone that I sat across the desk from on countless occasions yeah. and had interaction with these kids on numerous occasions. Mm -hmm. And so it just left this kind of empty, nauseating feeling with me that continues to persist. It's like when I think about it, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. And to think these children will never be right, whatever that means. Right. They will always have this hang. So I just think of... What kind of lives will they have in the future? Will they be able to have relationships, loving relationships? Will they ever trust again? And I'll tell you when a lot hit me, when they showed, it may have been brief, the courtroom on the news where Marie was standing there and the children, two of them, were in the back. I can still see that. And that wow. did something to me. And that will forever be etched in my memory just to see her and thinking she really did this stuff. Right. And she really involved the children in this. And it took one of the children to tell it because internally they'll never be settled. Right. They'll never be right. And for someone to do this to a child because they're children. Right. I keep saying that because they are. They're children. And uh, so this is what she has laid out for them for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What's interesting to me is the number of people that I've spoken with or read their words that have said, I can't see Marie doing this. And she was always so nice and giving and things like that. And I can understand because I think what we fail to embrace as a community of people is that sometimes the person who is the most heinous among us is actually the nicest. That's right. Because um, I read recently, and it's true, that perpetrators don't just groom their victims. They also groom the community around them. Mm -hmm. So should one of the victims speak up and say, everybody else will be, no, not that person. Mm -hmm. I don't believe it. They were mm -hmm. the nicest person. Mm -hmm. And I think... It took a lot of energy to create a persona 
that even after hearing the heinous details of what happened, we don't know what happened before, but we know afterwards that the body was brutalized in an effort to hide the identity in some very disturbing ways. And to me, it's hard for me to understand anybody that can still hold in their hearts and mind that this is still a nice Christian woman. And and I'm just going to say this. While it was horrific, there was something about Marie that made me not think it was impossible. I never would have suspected this. Right. There was just something. She always seemed at this watching, like she's looking out the corner of her eyes, looking around. I can see her doing that, standing there, like looking around to see. And so I never, ever, ever would have thought this, that she would have done something like this. But still, it didn't totally throw me off that she might have. And so the thought, wow. in, in addition to that, I would, I would say, so that's what it was. We didn't know, but after the fact, because we always knew it was something, right. something was a little askew. Right. But not so much that it would call attention to something that was this heinous. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then after the fact, we would say, that's what it was. Yes. That walking down the hall, you know, through the little gate there and, and take it over your office space. Looking and just watch them. And I would think, I wonder what she's looking for. Because the kids aren't here, and I would, how can I help you, Miss Hill? What you need, mm -hmm. you know? But I can just see her, even when I, she wasn't noticing me. I could see her, her eyes just moving, mm. like she's checking the place out, you know. So you're right. I di didn't know what it was. I'm like, that's just how she does, you know. She's mm -hmm. a little interesting, but you know, <laughs> right? You know, but that's that's okay, you know. I mean, right. interesting people all over the place. Right. That doesn't bother me, but I was aware of that. So it was a deep down hurt to know that all that became this. Right. Yeah. 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 I would agree. Yeah. And I think for me, what's been difficult is kind of looking back at all these different spots. At one point I was reading one of the court reports and it said that in 2004, Erica was in the emergency room for a compound fracture in her finger that Kiara later said that Marie had hit her with a hammer and broke her finger. And she left without treatment mm. as they were going to do some further they were, going to, they were going to question her. They were going to question her. <laughs> wow. And she left and then... A social worker got involved at that point. And then there was another point, but they didn't follow through. Mm -hmm. and then there was another point the social worker got involved, because this was, I think, was in 2004. Mm -hmm. I think prior maybe to the report at school. Okay. And then there was a later report where there was some concern about some abuse that was going on. And the county social workers were sending a message through, like, one of the social workers at school, can you give Marie my number so she can call me? And there's all of these different points. Geneva, I don't know if you knew this, that Erica told Geneva she was being abused. <sighs> and 
She said one day she took her into the bathroom because she just suspected she saw the long sleeve. She saw the long pants. And she said one time she was bending over to tie her shoe. And she saw, she said there was so much scarring on her leg. It was like there was no more room for skin. There was so much scarring on her. And she took her into the bathroom. She said, tell me what's going on. And she said that Erica told me she hates me. And kind of indicated, I don't know what she's going to do to me. Wow. And that being another mispoint, because Geneva kept telling her mom. And again, it was kind of like, well, you don't really know what's going on in that family. You don't know how people do what they do, da-da-da-da-da. And so all of these mispoints just makes it just so much more. Just Geneva is the, only, is the only one that you've heard from. So I wonder if there were any other that she right. said something to. So once again, like you said, the perpetrators just ripples out. It does. There's Geneva, how this has affected a, a Geneva. Right. And she talks about the trust issue. But the other thing is I spoke to someone recently, and I'm going to go into that in more details in another episode, that knew the family from when Tierra was like a toddler. And had said that both she and other community members had begun to notice abuse. And the kids had talked about abuse early on. And they had made reports to human services mm-hmm. to no avail. And so I don't believe human services. I used to be a social worker with Dane County Human Services. I don't believe that they wear angel wings and shit go bricks. I don't. I know it's not a perfect system. And so I'm not saying that I think that is the answer. Let's see how many parents that we can get reported to human services and human services will come and fix everything. I don't think that's the answer within itself. You know, I think there's a lot of other things that we need to do and can do as a community. And I think historically talking about history, I think there's ways that we just even as a black community used to interact with each other in, in the families and in, in, in church and all of these other ways that we don't act now. But the challenge that I really want to put out to people is really believe in what you see and trust in your gut. And then figuring out what those steps are, because it's never going to be the same with each kid. But I, everyone I've spoken to, I knew something, I thought something. And just individually, some of those things, some people saw things collectively, but just trusting your gut to do something to the next level. And so I think one of the greatest tragedies is that I have been calling Lake County in Gary, Indiana, just trying to find out where her body is. I've called the coroner's office three times and they haven't been able to locate even where Erica is buried yet. And that breaks my heart. She was thrown away. Twice. Twice. If not more than that. And right now, no one even knows where her body is. And so I, I appreciate you all for coming in and talking, particularly just as educators and black educators, even more specifically about Erica, but then the general things about what the educational system can do to better catch these kids, to better support these families. 
And I really appreciate that. So one question I've been asking people when they come in is if you could have a conversation with Erica, what would you say? Tell us what you need. Talk to us, honey, and tell us what you need and don't hold back. At least we may not be able to do everything, but we can do something. Yeah. And don't be in pain. It, you don't have to be. There's help for you. And what would you say to Erica now, knowing what we know? I am so sorry that we weren't able to connect these dots. But it was, uh, we, we were fooled. We were really fooled. Dr. Holmes? You know, um, again, I, I, I agree with Ms. Evans. You know, um, you know, at some level, you feel like there was a failure on behalf of the systems that exist to protect kids and families, like what happened to Erica and the Hill family. And so I would say that we failed. Our system is not designed necessarily to protect you from what happened. It's not in a place to be able to protect you. And I'm so sorry and I apologize for not being in a place to have been able to identify all the hurt and pain that you were going through. And if we had to do it all over again, it would be a lot different. Thank you both so much for sharing. I really appreciate, appreciate you and, and, and just your, your body of work that you all have done. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for inviting us. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. As my grandmother would say, mm, 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 that was a good conversation. And listen, we're not playing. We mean this thing. We mean to defend black girlhood by taking on the tough conversations that need to be had in order to do so. And we would love for you to get more connected with our work and our mission by visiting Laleda.org to explore the dynamic work we're doing to defend black girls everywhere they are. And while you're there, we invite you to join our mailing list so you will not miss one single fearless conversation.